hope. O oh, my soul, hope. You know neither the day nor the hour. Watch carefully, for everything passes quickly, even though your impatience makes doubtful what is certain and turns a very short time into a long one. Dream that the more you struggle, the more you prove the love that you bear your God, and the more you will rejoice one day with your beloved in a happiness and rapture that can never end. St. Teresa of Avila My name is Jessamine Anderson Frain, and you're listening to Becoming Beauty. Our hearts were made for the infinite, so the ache we feel for more than this earthly life should drive us forward. But to where? And how do we get there? In this podcast, we're exploring what it practically and tangibly means, as C.S. Lewis says, to be united with the beauty we see and become part of it. This requires our entire being, body and soul. So we'll need both to journey well. Let us begin. Hello friends, welcome to another episode of Becoming Beauty. I'm so happy that you're here. We are in the first week of Advent, a week traditionally focused on hope. I didn't know actually until the last couple years that each week of Advent has a specific focus. So I learned this, that week one is hope, week two is peace, week three is joy. Well, I actually knew that one because of the pink candle, Gaudete Sunday, and week four is love. Because it's week one of Advent, I wanted to do an episode on hope. I think it's really important to acknowledge that this time of year can be difficult for people. There are people who are grieving lost loved ones. There are people who are estranged from their families, people going through immense financial hardship, but feel the consumer pressure from every direction. People who have negative childhood memories associated with Christmas, people who are lonely and far away from their families. So this time of year is hard for some people. It's not all like fa-la-la jingle bells. The first Christmas after my mom passed away was an emotional cocktail. (laughs) I had recently left Nashville and I had moved back in with my dad in Indiana and the house felt incredibly empty. My sister and I tackled the cookie baking that year trying to maintain my mom's legacy while kind of holding all of our pieces together. She also learned from our Aunt Peggy that year how to make the family cinnamon rolls because someone had to do it. We just wanted it to be my mom. We did not want to be learning that because she wasn't there. In the midst of all that grief, I was newly engaged. (laughs) I got engaged to Stephen on December 20th of 2019, so four months after losing my mom. Talk about a weird mixture of emotions. The holiday season can include a strange hodgepodge of experiences, and it is important that you acknowledge all of those in your own life. In the midst of the heartache and the sorrow, the joys and celebrations, the magic and the mystery, there is one thing that is constant, and that is the hope that comes from the birth of our Savior. God, our Father, the King and Creator of the universe, takes on breakable human flesh to live with us, be with us, and save us so that we can spend eternity with him in heaven. This is miraculous and worthy of our reflection. The nativity offers us immense hope. 
It's a reminder of the goodness of God, the goodness he desires for each of us. And so we must allow the hope of this season to shape our hearts and turn our eyes toward the one who saves us, the one who is coming to us in just a few short weeks. Regardless of whether we're in deep sorrow or immense joy right now, the hope of this season is still going to shape our hearts if we allow it to. So let us do that together. Similarly to the episode I did on gratitude a few weeks ago, I want to start by defining hope. And since it's a virtue, we're going to look at the definition of the virtue of hope. Then we will look at where our hope comes from and where it points to. And we'll close with some practical ways to put this virtue in action. You're probably starting to see that I'm all about the practical application of spiritual truths. I think it's important that we learn how to do this. And I don't think we talk about it enough. We we often like over-spiritualize all these aspects of our faith, but we don't put them into our bodies, like into our everyday lives. So I really love discovering how to do that and then sharing that with others. So let's begin by defining hope. The Catechism of the Catholic Church says that hope is the theological virtue by which we desire the kingdom of heaven and eternal life as our happiness, placing our trust in Christ's promises and relying not on our own strength, but on the help of the grace of the Holy Spirit. In summary, hope reminds us that our goal is heaven and we can only get there by relying on God's grace. In the section of the Catechism about hope, there is one word that stands out because it is repeated multiple times, and that word is heaven. We are called to constantly keep our eyes fixed on heaven, and hope helps us maintain that rightly ordered gaze in the midst of all of life's circumstances. The Catechism goes on to talk about all the ways hope is at work in our lives, so I kind of just made this into a list. Hope responds to our God-given desire for happiness, which means that heaven is where we will experience the happiness we long for. Hope purifies our actions so they are directed toward the kingdom of heaven. Hope prevents discouragement and despair. Hope sustains us when we feel abandoned. Hope makes us aware of our true longing for eternity with God. Hope preserves us from selfishness and leads us to love. And that's because our eyes are turned upward instead of inward. Hope is all about heaven. Our reason for hope is heaven. The truth that God himself created a place for us to spend eternity with him because he wants to be with us forever. Not only does he desire to be with us for eternity, but even after we messed things up in the garden, he persevered with this plan to be with us forever, to be in full communion, by sending his only son to take on human flesh in the form of a helpless baby, no less. So he sent his son to take on human flesh, to live with us, to die a gruesome death for us and rise from the dead. Okay, so like, how do we even begin to wrap our minds around this magnificent, mind-boggling truth? I think sometimes in our faith, like in the stories of the Bible, and in this, especially the gospel, we don't take the time to like let the miraculous nature of it sink in. We're just so used to hearing like, oh, God sent his only son, you know, and we celebrate Christmas and this baby's born. But like when you sit and think about the magnificence of this truth, oh my goodness, it's incredibly deep. 
When I began studying the virtues and then teaching about the virtues through my work with an organization called Fidelis, which I will link to in the show notes because I still love the ministry. I volunteer with them. Hope was hands down the hardest virtue for me to understand and write about. I had a really difficult time communicating information about it. Hope as a virtue felt abstract, almost like distant in a way. The hope of heaven didn't feel tangible to me. And I didn't really know what it meant to order my actions toward eternal life. Like how do you order your actions toward eternity when you're in the world? Then my mom passed away pretty suddenly and I got a crash course in the virtue of hope. I was experiencing intense grief for the first time, or at least a time when I was able to describe the grief I was feeling. I was deeply sorrowful. I was angry, confused, shocked, lonely. The grief was consuming. And that's totally normal when you lose somebody that you love. So I didn't try to run from that which I'm grateful for. Um, My grief counselor at the time told me I had to honor my feelings in order to process them and work through them. In the midst of that grief and darkness, I hardly knew how to talk to God. I felt anger toward him, but I also felt this desire to just fall into his arms because I had nowhere else to go. How was I supposed to want his consolation when I was so angry with him? It was very confusing. This makes me think about Peter when, you know, Jesus tells him what's going to happen. And he says, are you going to run? And Peter says, Lord, where else would we go? (laughs) That's how I felt. Lord, where else would I go? But I'm still angry at you. As I journeyed through my grief, I attempted to pray. And for a long time, the tears just came more easily than words. So I didn't talk as much. I sat there a lot. I had nothing to offer God. I had nothing of myself to give except sorrow and grief. And in return, he offered me something I needed desperately but didn't understand. And that was hope. God reminded me that he did not create death, nor did he ever desire us to experience death. But he did redeem death through the life, death, and resurrection of his own son, Jesus He reminded me that I am called to keep my eyes fixed on heaven and order my entire life to that promised glory. And he told me that I could do this even while suffering and grieving. Living with hope does not require constant happiness. If you don't remember anything else from this episode, please remember those words. Living with hope does not require constant happiness. Living with hope requires constant reliance on a loving, merciful God who created us for eternity with him. Okay, so we've now defined hope and I've shared a little bit of my journey of better understanding this virtue. So now we're going to look at where hope comes from and where it points us. The catechism tells us that Christian hope takes up and fulfills the hope of the chosen people, which has its origin and model in the hope of Abraham. Now, St. Paul speaks beautifully about Abraham's hope and faith uh, in Romans when he writes this. He believed, hoping against hope, that he would become the father of many nations, according to what was said, 
thus shall your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body as already dead, for he was almost a hundred years old, and the dead womb of Sarah. He did not doubt God's promise in unbelief. Rather, he was empowered by faith and gave glory to God and was fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to do. This is from Romans 4, 18 through 21. Abraham's faith, and faith we define as believing in God and all that he has said and revealed to us. So Abraham's belief in God, his faith, fueled his hope in the midst of trials and confusion. Remember, God told Abraham he would be the father of many nations, and his wife was barren. I think most of us would have a hard time trusting and remaining hopeful in that situation. I was, I would just be confused and frustrated. And yet, Abraham kept his eyes fixed on God and knew that following God's will would keep him on the journey to heaven, where joy and fulfillment awaited him. Abraham's active hope is a model for us to follow, especially because his hope did not depend on God's fulfillment of his earthly desires. Abraham remained steadfast in hope, even when God wasn't giving him and his wife the child they so desperately wanted. And it wasn't like once they finally had Isaac that, oh, well, now I can be hopeful. It's like, no, they remained steadfast in hope before they received the earthly desires of their heart. So our hope cannot depend on getting what we want on this side of heaven. Remember that hope helps us desire heaven and eternal life as our happiness. Why is this? Well, it's because we were ultimately made for total communion with God and heaven for all eternity. This is how we're designed. This is the deepest desire of every human heart, whether they know it or not, because it was put there by God at their conception. So we can remain a people of hope when we order our lives toward heavenly glory instead of the things of this earth, which will surely pass away. With Abraham as our example, we can now hone in on where hope comes from and where it points to. Just as with truth, beauty, and goodness, hope comes from heaven and points to heaven. The virtue of hope is a gift from God. It's something infused into our souls by the Holy Spirit to make us capable of living as faithful disciples, similarly to the virtues of faith and charity. The visual that just came to came to mind when I was talking about this is the recycling symbol, like the triangle with the recycling symbol. Hope is a never-ending loop. Think of it as these arrows that are leading into each other. So hope comes from God, it works in us, and then it points us back to God. And the more we direct our lives toward God, the more hope we have. The more hope we have, the more we can direct our lives toward God. I've never thought of that visual before, but I like it. I think I'll keep it. <laughs> so we've defined hope. We've looked at where it comes from and where it points to, which is heaven. So now we're going to talk about practical ways we can cultivate the virtue of hope in our lives. I will let Jesus do the talking on this one. In the Beatitudes, which we hear during his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus offers us several ways that we can keep our eyes fixed on heaven and our lives ordered there as well. Now, we have heard the words of the Beatitudes so many times that it's easy to just let them go whoop, one in one ear and out the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard this. Blessed are the blah, blah, blah. But if we're wanting to know how to journey well to heaven, we should allow Jesus's words to really sink in. 
I was just going to like let you go and read them by yourself and talk about it, but I'm going to read them because I think it's important that we read these aloud before we continue. So here we go from Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Now, after watching The Chosen, I always think about the scene where Jesus is writing these Beatitudes and each of the apostles are pictured as kind of like representing one of them. And I just, whoo, that scene gave me all the feels, all the feels. (laughs) So the catechism tells us this about the Beatitudes. It says, the Beatitudes raise our hope toward heaven as the new promised land. They trace the path that leads through the trials that await the disciples of Jesus. I love that because it's acknowledging that even with our eyes fixed on heaven, things are not going to be happy and joyful all the time. There will be trials. We also read that the Beatitudes are at the heart of Jesus's preaching. They take up the promises made to the chosen people since Abraham. The Beatitudes fulfill the promises by ordering them no longer merely to the possession of a territory, but to the kingdom of heaven. So we can kind of look at the Beatitudes as our roadmap to heaven. They show us what discipleship looks like. They remind us of God's promises in the midst of trials and tribulations. They invite us into a countercultural way of life. And that is the way that leads to the way, which is Jesus. Now, I'm going to sidestep here for just a moment. I want to take a moment to acknowledge that not all of my listeners are Catholic. I have many Protestant friends, and my dad's whole family is Protestant, including my godmother, who is one of my greatest role models. So if you're not Catholic and you're unfamiliar with the catechism or maybe even uncomfortable with my references to it, I understand that and I respect that because it's totally new territory. But in my experience with Protestant friends who have looked into the catechism, who've read passages from it, we always agree on way more than we disagree on. So on this week's episode, I've referenced the catechism several times and I have found these passages to be enormously helpful while digging into the virtue of hope. And I've also um, done a lot of study of the catechism over the last several years in my work with Fidelis, the organization I mentioned earlier. So I just want to say that the catechism passage about the Beatitudes, I find particularly beautiful and enlightening and informative. So even if you're not Catholic or you're a Catholic who isn't super familiar with the catechism, I'd really encourage you to read the passage about the Beatitudes. It's a great place to start. So I will leave all these links in the show notes. I just wanted to acknowledge that for a moment because I know that I have Protestant listeners and I just want to respect that and share kind of where I'm getting this information from. So back to the show. (laughs) I thought I would pick out 
a couple of beatitudes to share how I'm working to live these out in my daily life and how they're helping me to grow in hope. And the two that really speak to me happen to be the first two. So the first one says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It has taken me a long time to understand what it means to be poor in spirit. I never really understood that. I almost saw that as like someone being downtrodden and I didn't understand how that was virtuous. So I'm still working on like a a really full understanding of this, but My basic understanding is that to be poor in spirit means that we are aware of our own poverty. We are aware of our complete and total need for God. Jesus tells us very clearly in John 15, without me, you can do nothing. Um, I don't really think he's leaving much room for argument here. (laughs) Okay. Without me, you can do nothing. Nothing. We are not made to go this journey alone. We're made to do everything with God, relying completely on him in both faith and action. And pride is the sin that gets in the way of this belief. And pride is the root of all other sins. In fact, I've heard from multiple priests that when you go to confession, you should always start by confessing the sin of pride because it's almost guaranteed that you've committed that sin. So I've got some work to do in this arena. It is always a first thing out of my mouth when I'm in confession. There are two specific ways I'm working on this beatitude of being poor in spirit. Firstly, recognizing God in all things. We've talked about this a lot on the podcast and we're only like five episodes in. So it is one of the foundational topics of my show because it's made such a difference in my life. When we begin to see that God is blessing us and delighting in us all the time, that he's always trying to encounter us, we realize how close he is. And we're better able to speak to him, share with him, and lean on him. The second thing I'm trying to do is pray about everything. I just teared up thinking about this because for a majority of my life, I only took what I considered big things to prayer. Job changes, breakups, like moving. I believed this lie that God doesn't care about the details of my life. Like he, he has bigger fish to fry. He needs to spend his time dealing with bigger issues like world peace. How prideful of me to decide what matters to God and how small minded of me to forget that God is infinite, which means he isn't limited by my human limitations of time or my understanding of time. He's outside of time. So he always has time for the details. God really does care about the details of my life. From the outfit I choose in the morning to the city I move to next. So I'm trying to pray about all the things. I pray when I meal plan. I pray when I shop for clothes. When I'm choosing artwork to hang in my home. When I'm figuring out how to tactfully respond to annoying emails. When I'm struggling with a friend when I miss my mom, when I sit down to write a podcast episode, when I face technical difficulties, which are inevitable because that's not my forte, when I need a parking spot. God cares about all these little details because he cares about me and these are things that impact my day-to-day life. And by inviting him into those seemingly insignificant moments, God shows me how the choices I make in my everyday life are either pointed toward heaven or away from heaven. 
They're either leading me forward on the heavenly journey or leading me backward. I am learning to be poor in spirit by recognizing that God is involved in all aspects of my life and he wants to be there. The second beatitude says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. I've done a lot of grieving over the last several years. And like I mentioned earlier, before I lost my mom, I didn't really have the language to describe these experiences as grief, but now having gone through grief, a grief journey and like grief counseling, I'm like, oh, wow, (laughs) I've done a lot of grieving. I grieved the surrender of my lifelong Broadway dream when I decided to leave New York City. I grieved a heartbreaking situation that happened to my senior year of college. I grieved most intensely when my mom passed away. I grieved when I got married without my mom. I grieved becoming a mom without my mom. I grieved when my breastfeeding journey began much differently than anticipated. I grieve a bit now, trying to be a single parent while my husband serves overseas. I remember a few years ago having a frank conversation with God. I think I was in the car and I was just asking him, God, why do you keep taking things away from me? I felt like he just kept taking and taking and taking. And as I, as I say that, I think of the words, you know, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And believe me, I am a firm believer in God's providence and generosity. I have been a witness to that. But in that season, when I had that conversation in the car, I was really struggling with all the taking away. And it is good that I took that to him in prayer because he wants me to be honest with him. In the midst of feeling like everything was being taken away, I was reminded of this beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It is not possible for all of our suffering to be eliminated on this side of heaven. It is not possible for total and complete healing on this side of heaven. We will only experience the fullness of joy and peace and redemption on the other side of heaven which is the side we cannot fathom in our limited human understanding. It is okay to be sad. I tell this to my daughter when she's upset. It is okay to be sad. It is okay to grieve. It is okay to mourn. Our beautiful mother Mary shows us this at the foot of the cross. She believed in the hope that was to come. She never wavered in hope. Yet she grieved. She wept. She endured unimaginable suffering watching her son die a gruesome death, and she did not run from the grief, deny it, or cover it up. She leaned into it in hope, trusting that God was meeting her in that dark place. So our Blessed Mother, once again, a beautiful example for us all. As Catholics, we believe that all suffering holds a greater purpose, that we can offer up our sufferings as prayers. You'll often hear people in the church say, offer it up. It's kind of like the Catholic mom catchphrase, like, oh, you don't want to sweep the floor? Sorry, offer it up. (laughs) You don't want to clean your room? Offer it up. In response to people complaining, this is a very common thing you'll hear. So it's going to be kind of annoying, but it's true. Just as we invite God into all the little aspects of our day, we can invite him into our sufferings and offer up those sufferings as a prayer. Think, think about things like hard workout, bad traffic, middle of the night feedings, and more. This is an area that I am constantly working on because it does not come naturally to me, but I have a feeling I am not alone in this. 
Just remember that your mourning and your grief and your sadness and your sorrow, these things do not intimidate or annoy God. It is far better for us to bring these experiences to him and trust that someday we will know the redemption of all of this suffering and we will see how God was with us through it all. I hope this episode has been helpful for you. See what I did there? But truly, the virtue of hope has helped me a lot over the last few years and learning how to orient my life toward heaven in my everyday choices has helped me make a lot of different and better choices. And the nativity, this beautiful celebration that we are preparing for, offers us immense hope. We live differently when we live with hope. And this is evident. It's easy to spot. You can totally see in our world who lives with hope, the hope of heaven, and who does not. I don't say this to point fingers I say this to remind you of the power of hope, the power of keeping our eyes fixed on heaven. Jesus awaits us with open arms in the heavenly kingdom, and I pray we can all journey there together. My something beautiful this week is a fiction book, and it's not related to Advent or Christmas or anything. I just, it's one of my favorite books of all time, and I wanted to share it with you. It's called With This Pledge by Tamara Alexander, and she's a Nashville-based historical fiction author. So she writes a lot about different historical things that happened in Nashville. So the book takes place at the Carnton Plantation in Franklin, Tennessee, when the Battle of Franklin and the Civil War breaks out. The book starts off with a bang. I don't even think you get in like one chapter and you're in the Battle of Franklin. So whoo, it's it just really kicks off. The Carnton Plantation was owned by an influential Confederate family, and it became a field hospital for for soldiers on both sides of the war. So the story follows the home's governess, who is a closet abolitionist, as she befriends, well, maybe a little more than friends, a Confederate officer. And I actually didn't know until I got to the end of the book when I read the author's notes that this was based on a true story. Crazy. Tamara Alexander, this author, she writes very rich storylines with complex characters, and I love all of her books, but this one comes out on top. So I hope you enjoy it. It's called With This Pledge. I will link to it in the show notes. That's all for week one of Advent. Next week, we're going to be talking about the song, Oh Holy Night, which holds a very special place in my heart. So I hope that you can join us next week. And I hope that you are continuing to enjoy a peaceful and intentional Advent this year. Have a lovely week. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Becoming Beauty. I hope today's episode blessed you. There are a few simple things you can do to share the message you heard today. One, share this episode with a friend who needs it. Two, share this episode on social media. Three, leave a rating and a review so more people can find this podcast. I would so appreciate your help getting this podcast into the ears, hearts, and minds of more people. Have a lovely week.